My name is Carolee Lee, and I'm the founder and CEO of WAM, Women's Health Access Matters, whamnow.org. And for me, femtech is really the opportunity to create massive opportunity for shifts and changes in our economy by investing in women-owned, women-led companies, which produces tremendous economic returns to our economy, to our society, and to our families. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast brought to you by Fem Health Insights, the leaders in women's health market research and consulting. In this show, we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Fem Health experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interview Carolee Lee, founder and CEO of Women's Health Access Matters, or WAM. Kara Lee is an innovator, entrepreneur, and thought leader dedicated to improving women's health and well-being and their opportunities to succeed. While Kara Lee was running her successful accessories business with 85% female employees, she realized the significant economic impacts of her female employees being sick or needing childcare on her business. After the sale of her business, Kara Lee launched WAM in July 2018 as an initiative to focus on increasing awareness of women's health issues, investing in women's health research, and implementing strategies to improve the inequalities and bias in research. In this interview, we discuss the need for more female-specific research in autoimmune disease, heart disease, brain health, and cancer, the returns to the U.S. economy when women's health is invested in, and the best ways for fem health founders to influence policymakers. This is a great opportunity to find out why women's health access matters. See what I did there? Wham. <laughs> Learn more about Wham at whamnow.org. That's W-H-A-M-now.org. And read the Wham Report at thewhamreport.org. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Carolee. Welcome to the show. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for inviting me. It is a pleasure to have you. I have been following you for years now, and so way overdue to have you on the show. Love the work you're doing. Very focused on science and research. So my little science tist heart is just like, yes, go science. I love it. So very excited to have you on the show today. We love to kick off every episode learning a little bit more about our guests, kind of more on the personal side. So why don't you tell us, you know, where you're from? What did you study? What did you do do in your career? And 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 then lead us into Wham. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for that. And um, I'm delighted to share some of my background. So uh, let me start with the fact that I am not a scientist, I'm not a physician, and I'm not an economist. And all three of those would have helped somewhat uh, (laughs) even to further Wham's mission. But I've learned really quickly um, because over so many years, probably 25 or 30 during building my first business, I was so fortunate to be involved with those three things. So um, tangentially, I was on the board of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, for example, for 25 years. So I did learn a lot about science. I did learn a lot about research. And I did learn a lot about women's health. So it's not like I didn't have any idea. But um, my first business was definitely not in that area. Um, But in building that business, what I understood quickly, uh, because it was 85% female, 
was that when my workers were out to take care of an elderly or sick parent or child, that it had an economic impact on my uh, bottom line. So I kind of registered that, kept that in the back of my mind. And um, also um, that building a business is a, a, a skill set that um, I'm very uh, involved in, and aware and um, familiar with. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to have a terrific team and eventually sell that business. And so what that led me to be able to do was to host conferences uh, basically focused on women's health and wellness. Um, and that was how I began to get to know many of the leaders in the scientific community. And that was how I also got to realize that although I knew some of the data, I didn't know all of it, how little uh, money was invested in women's health research um, and how few researchers there were. Um, and so I became kind of intrigued with that and dug deeper into that. Uh, and that led me to WAM, to establishing WAM, which is Women's Health Access Matters. And um, and, it, and the URL is whamnow.org uh, for people who would like more uh, data. It's very much there. And why was that important? Well, a group of us, a group of businesswomen, actually, were sitting around a table one day talking about the fact that there was so little research. Uh, and we got together with some of the leading um, researchers in the fields, including um, the Connor Center up at Brigham Harvard, who is our lead scientific partner, and many others to ask them, to ask the scientists, what would they need? How would this, how would they be able to raise their profiles? How would they be able to raise more money? How could we help them change the dialogue? Because the dialogue at that time, up until the WAM report was created, the dialogue was very focused on underrepresentation, understudied, undervalued, under everything for women um, in in wellness and well-being and, and women's health. And although that is true, and social justice, and although all of those things are true, what's more valuable, I believe, is data that backs up why investing in women's health research is an economic imperative, not just a social justice one. I love that, Carolee, because that's where we really are, you know, sisters in our mission is that, you know, for me, I see the data is how do we influence the investors, you know, to invest in startups in women's health, right? And so you're looking at the, the funding opportunities that go into research, how can we convince those funding opportunities that this isn't just the right thing to do, a, a, a social determinant, you know, a nice thing, but in fact, it's a whole field they really need to be dedicated to is what I'm hearing. Totally. And um, and and we're obviously at WAM not only interested in research, which we are, but we're also interested in investment and startups because in our opinion, it won't just be one way that will create a change uh, to advance the health and well-being of women, which ultimately... You know, what you need to look at is um, how women affect the economy. So women drive economies. Women are 50% of the workforce, 52% of the population, 60% of the wealth in this country is owned by women, 85% of the spending decisions are made by women, and 80% of the healthcare decisions for their families are made by women. So women drive economies, and women are the health um, um, CMOs of their families. What does that mean? Well, it means that if women are healthier, societies are healthier, families are healthier, the economy does better. And so that's the underlying message, I believe, that's so important. And what we realized when we started WAM was we wanted to do three things. We wanted to create uh, a research vehicle by which we could raise money for more research. We wanted to create the WAM 
collaborative, which brings together the women and men involved in furthering women's health research. And we wanted to create a report, a data-driven compendium that would show what the economic impact would be if we accelerated women's health research. And that was the WAM report. And that can be found on the whamreport.org. And when was that published? Actually, there are a series of reports. The last one will be published this fall, but the others, which are focused on four areas, uh, have been published over the just over the past two years. So WAM is relatively new. It's only about three years old because it took us several years to, to create the reports. And the reports are startling because what the reports showed were how understudied and underinvested women truly are. So I'll, let me give you just a quick snapshot. So if you take um, the four areas that we're interested in, um, and, and we pick these areas because they affect women disproportionately, exclusively, or predominantly, or differentially, and it doesn't mean to say that we're not interested in maternal health, menstruation, uh, fertility, or any of the other areas, but these four areas will affect a woman in her lifetime, undoubtedly, autoimmune cancer, brain health, and uh, cardiovascular disease. So when you look at these four areas, it's 15, 12, 7, 4, 15% of monies are allocated by NIH to studying women in lung cancer when lung cancer is the number one killer of women of all cancers, more than uterine, ovarian, and cervical cancer combined. Wow. Women, white women are twice as likely to die from lung cancer as non-smoking white women, as non-smoking white men. No one knows why. So for each of these things, no one knows why, because there's no research less than 15%, okay? 12%, Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's disease is, affects two thirds of our population, which are women, and women are twice as likely to have Alzheimer's as men. No one knows why, 12%, really? How, how about this, 7% autoimmune disease. So autoimmune disease, 80% of the people who have autoimmune disease are women, no one knows why. Yet only 7% of dollars allocated by NIH to study women and autoimmune disease. Hmm. How about this? 4% for heart disease. Heart disease is the number one killer of women. And yet only 4% of monies is allocated by NIH to studying women. These numbers are totally distorted if you compare them to the numbers I offered to you earlier, the 50, 52, et cetera. If women drive the economies, and yet we're underinvesting in them. How does that work? Wow, you've given us a lot already. <laughs> and this is why I was so excited to have you on the show because you are just a wealth of knowledge and data. And we love that here. Why did you, you know, I know you kind of tapped onto this as to why you picked the autoimmune brain health, cancer and heart health. But I think for our listeners, especially ones who potentially work in one of those areas, you know, was there other candidates as to in terms of other sex verticals in women's health that you could have addressed? Or why was there something specific about those four that kind of bubbled up to the top where they kind of like the least served or tell us a little bit about why you picked those four? Because women in those categories, for the most part, are disproportionately affected and differentially affected. So, for example, if you look at heart disease, and a report just came out this uh, this past week um, of women in heart disease. So women are, are twice as likely to have a, a second heart attack uh, or to die within a year after their first heart attack and in order to be hospitalized. Women have heart disease differently than men. They Their symptoms are different. Um, they show it differently. And and they respond within the first or second year very differently than men. So 
if you we pick these categories because women up until now, women have been treated as though they're small men. Women are not small men. And so you can't say one size fits all and you can't give women the same treatments necessarily as a 175 pound white male, which is what many of the modalities, drugs and other um, diagnostics are based on. So we pick these categories because they are so disproportionate to women. Think about that. Autoimmune, 80 percent women. Heart disease, very different. Cancer. Who knew that lung cancer? We knew about the female cancers that are exclusively, obviously, to women. But who knew that lung cancer, for example, was such a, a strong killer of women? Um, and so without research, how does that change? Yeah, that's right. And when you say research, I know you're talking about research in lots of different ways. Can you tell us about some of the research that uh, WAM has supported or is proposing needs to happen? So what we're interested in are modalities that, uh, again, that, that reflect these different areas that um, where women respond or show a disease differently, uh, and also where the diagnostics aren't even there to test uh, for particular diseases. So we've supported um, different, uh, actually, we supported a range of opportunity um, um one of them was uh, to make sure that women uh, are part of clinical trials, for example, and involved in clinical trials, which is still a major uh, issue. Uh, one of them um, was to look at a heart monitoring uh, program that was being developed by a cardiologist uh, that could um, recognize symptoms of heart attacks and other problems more quickly. So they range... Um, and, and they're mostly uh, with our partners, and we have extraordinary partners like La Jolla Institute for Immunology is one of our great partners, American Heart Association, Bright Focus Foundation, GoTo Foundation. So we try to find researchers that are doing work within one of those four areas uh, to reflect um, the, the greatest delta that might exist, because that's where the monies, I think, really should be going. And also maternal health has a, a whole set of its own parameters, whether it's fertility, menstruation, et cetera, that are being, I think, it's not that they're overly well-addressed, but that are being well-addressed. And yeah. I think that's a particular uh, subject on its own. It doesn't mean that we're not interested in that. And in fact, we are. But think about this. Menopause and, and all of these different stages of a woman's life happen at, obviously, at different ages. We're interested from uh, childbearing through to longevity. Um, and that's your whole life. And that's what we try to focus on. It's also really interesting because um, brain cancer and heart health all have super funding, you know, super, super, super funded, like huge foundations. You know, there's the CPRIT program in Texas, which is like multi, multi millions of dollars to like cure cancer. You know, Biden has a cure cancer in it, right? There's like everywhere, everywhere. There's all these walks and whatever. And yet when we actually look under the hood, we're like, oh, damn, like where's the female specific study happening within these sectors? And so especially heart health, like those medical devices exit for billions of dollars and those medical devices don't even fit in a woman's heart. Right. So it's like, huh. <laughs> okay, so this works for half the population, and that was a billion-dollar exit. How about we make one for the other half, right? Um, yeah. Uh, how do, how does one calculate an economic impact? And I know you said that, like, that's not your degree, and like you have specialists on your team. But in general, how does one figure out what an economic impact of a health is? Because I know that that's one of your biggest, you know, drivers to for influencing people to get more involved. 
So when we, when a group of business people sat around, a group of business women sat around the table, as I mentioned, um, what we what we started to talk about is how could we create a change? This was really about how do you communicate differently? So if up until then, which was about 2018, 2019, if up until then, what we were hearing from all the scientists and all the leaders in the field was that it was hard for them to raise money. There's a, it's a small group. Women generally tend to do research on women's uh, diseases and or issues. Men generally tend to do diseases on men's and then, of course, on and, and tag on women. But it's not like men will necessarily just research women's issues. Therefore, the fewer researchers you have and those and those who are focused on women's issues, the, the fewer projects you're going to have. And so we heard that over and over again. Um, I think what we realized, again, was we needed the data. And so we engaged the RAND Corporation to do a study in those. And that's why we picked those four areas with them, because we knew that a lot of these um, areas of illness also and disease interact with each other. Often in life, you don't just have one. There's an interaction of them. And so we wanted to see what the interaction might be and also what the economics were by a micro by creating a micro simulation model how much money was really being invested in those four areas? So those 15, uh, 12, 7, 4 numbers that I gave you total about 350 million. So that's a small number. Like, for example, heart disease, it's only $20 million that NIH allocates for studying women and heart disease, and it's the number one killer. So there's a real disconnect there, right? So if you take that 350 million, according to Rand, uh, and you double it, uh, you'll get a return to the economy of 14 billion. That's an economic return. That's significant. Wow. That changes families. That changes businesses. That changes and impacts in a very positive way our economy, and it reduces healthcare costs. So the WAM report, which shows all this data, was the report that we created in order to show the data. So we're not just talking about social justice issues, and we're not just talking about inequality. We're not talking about inequity. We know that's part of the issue. What we were talking about is economic potential economic gain. So yeah. I think that's the that's the thing that we really wanted to focus on. Do you think that people have a hard time grasping how much in control women have of everything? Like when you kind of again, you look under the hood and you're like, women are making all these decisions or controlling all of this money. Like, do you think that people have a hard time comprehending or believing that? I have a hard time either comprehending or believing, but I don't know that they use it as a lens by which to make decisions or look yeah. through. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that we will, we try to aggregate data to influence how people think. Men and, <laughs> yeah. um, and it, you know, for example, we took the WAM data um, and took it to uh, members of Congress and they did uh, present a resolution uh, last April to double that budget, that's 350 to seven. And guess what? You know, if that goes through, then then we've achieved one of our goals, which was, in fact, to um, have that kind of potential economic gain. Yeah, let's actually talk about that. You have one of my favorite things about you is that you not only talk the talk, but you're walking the walk, you're making change and action happen. So what have you found in your experience is like the most motivating thing for policymakers? In terms of, you know, our argument, assuming the argument is improve women's health, what is the most motivating way to get policymakers to make change? 
Well, I think there's several, but clearly the economic ga- the argument of economic gain and the clarity of something like this, where you can show uh, the connection from research to um, uh, possible uh, returns, and also where you can show improved uh, improvement in lives, uh, reduced healthcare costs. These are uh, economic uh, steps and. Um, motivations that I think resonate with just about anyone in Congress. So if if we went talking about, again, the inequity, the inequality, the social justice, the lack of, and even if we showed all the data, which we could, that, you know, um, the dearth of uh, teaching in medical schools on women's health, the fact that less than 16% of deans in medical schools are women. I, I mean, I could sit here and give you all this data, but it won't be as compelling Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately or fortunately, what is compelling is economic data. Yep. Yep. How many meetings are like, what was that experience like for you to actually get something to happen in Congress where they actually doubled a giant, you know, amount of money? How, what was that experience like? Well, they haven't done it yet. You know, Tammy uh, yeah, presented <laughs> the resolution doesn't mean, you know, we have a couple of problems um, in how our government is working lately. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm hoping that this will get passed. Um, but even the fact that we were able to mobilize a, a huge number of people uh, around us, companies, um, businesses, advocacy, other policy uh, people, um, institutions, academic institutions, the fact that we were able to mobilize and galvanize lots of people around us uh, in support of this, I think, sends also a um, a resounding message to whoever you're talking with. This is not just a group of us sitting around talking with each other. This is uh, an ecosystem that we're trying to build that is supportive of change, that is positive for our economy. Yep. And and the fact is that if if women drive economies, then you want that to happen. So that becomes... It, it, this is easy to follow. This is yeah. not complicated. Yeah. And yeah. I, so I think, you know, it, it, it's, it was more a question. And I think for us, it's always a question of how do you set up the right framework to have a dialogue that is clear, uh, concise and has an objective. And so I think we've been able to do that in a lot of instances. Um, and that's just been very helpful. Mm-hmm. Did you find that, um, uh, women were were more receptive to your, you know, your mission here, or were men in, involved too? Tell us a little I bit think, about the gender differences. Well, I I think it, you know it. I think one of the reasons that I was so um, intent on creating these kinds of reports was that I was passionate. I've been passionate about this my whole life because my company was eighty five percent women. And because I understood, like I said, the value of healthy uh, women at work, and uh, and also what what the uh, what the outcome was of building that kind of incredible uh, community, and so I think I I I think that this kind of messaging appeals to both men and women mm-hmm. because it's it's really not about being sexist yeah. or feminist, it's about economics. Remember, yeah. it's about- They don't need to understand how the women's body works. They just need to know that the economy is going to have more money. Their voters are going to be happy. Makes sense, right? Is what I'm hearing. I, I think so. And then I think the other piece of it is that when we first started, DEI was not as prevalent as it is now or as dominant as an issue. And clearly for many companies, which is fine with me, um, this helps check off that box, if you will. 
um, that uh, we're focused in our company on the health and well-being of women. And that's fine. As, I, as long as we get to the end result and, and, and we're doing it ethically and morally, it's okay with me. Yeah. Honestly, I'm actually on the same page as you. I'm like, that's fine if we're just your box, but you better pay up or contribute or show up. Whatever it is that your box implies that you're going to do, do it. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, I still have so many questions for you. <laughs> uh, so one of the things you did in the government was, you know, essentially show this data to increase the an, uh, investment into the research, into these categories. Is there other um, missions that you have lined up or in your in your mind, in your heart, in terms of how the government can support the advancement of women's health and what what other areas? I know there's funding, but do you think, like, talk to us about maybe reimbursement codes or other FDA policies or where else in the government needs fixing in order to advance women's health? Oh, my gosh, there's, uh, I mean, it would take me hours, maybe a couple of days to answer that one. But, but let me tell you about um, a really exciting uh, program that we're hosting on June 13th. So it turns out that um, this uh, this year is the 30th anniversary of the 1993 Revitalization Act that was uh, passed by um, um, uh, President Clinton, Clinton, actually. And what it, what it in, intended to do was to set out guidelines that, I don't want to say mandated, they were guidelines that were issued uh, to make sure that women were part of research and clinical trials. So that was in 1993. That's 30 years ago. So we have invited um, Senator Mikulski, uh, uh, Olympia Snow, uh, Nita Lowy, uh, Dr. Vivian Pinn, who was the first woman to uh, run the Office for Research on Women's Health, uh, Marsha Henderson, who was um, at uh, the Women's at, uh, Division at FDA, and just a host of extraordinary uh, women who were involved in that time period of getting that push through. And you want to talk about kick-ass stories. I mean, I love the story about Barbara Mikulski and Pat Schroeder and a group of them getting in a car in Washington, D.C., driving over to Bethesda to NIH, man, you know, slapping the, the desk saying, you've got to include women. What, what, how is this not possible? That was in 1993. Just to also put it in perspective, it wasn't until 2016 that female mice were mandated to be included in research. It's like, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're hosting this wonderful gathering and celebration in honor um, because I think it's important of these wonderful women um, to recognize the great work that they did. And and they're still feisty and they're still interested. And, um, and I like uh, recognizing the women on whose shoulders we stand. That will be followed at lunch by Dr. Janine Clinton, who currently runs the Office for Research on Women's Health, um, who will talk about where we are today. So, 30 years ago, Barbara Mikulski or whoever is going, Vivian Penn, will talk about that. what happened then. Uh, Dr. Clayton will talk about, so where are we now in women's health? And then, and this will answer your question, then we're hosting after lunch a roundtable, which brings together members of the ecosystem. So some of the people that you touched on, payers, providers, pharma, business, academia, um, just a vast array uh, of different um, participants to talk about three, not 30. Mm -hmm. So we've developed this platform and this idea of hashtag three, not 30. What does it mean? Well, clearly we want change in three years, not 30. We're not waiting another 30. And although some change has happened, not enough in our opinion has. And how do we expedite that? How do we, how do we create a shift um, in how we 
make change happen. And part of it is awareness. Part of it, thank you so much for what you're doing, because part of it is creating greater awareness. Yeah. And part of it is coming up with different plans or ways that groups of people can come together and say, and this is what we're asking each of the participants to do is, is come with an idea of how they can create change. And what is that change in three years, not 30 in their companies, in their um, uh, academia, in policy, wherever it might be, and then have this group of people talk together to see if we can't partner on some of these uh, visions that we all have. Oh my goodness. I cannot wait to attend that. Um, it's going to be excellent. Yeah. June is such a big month for, for women's health. It's what a milestone. Um, we are similarly having a, a virtual summit on June 28th. So people get a little reprieve after your event and then they could come to ours. Um, similarly talking about, you know, um, how, how the government is involved in the advancement of women's health. And um, in today's day and age, saying that, it could potentially sound like a bad conference, right? Like all the bad ways, but we're really going to be focusing on all the good ways. Like um, what are different types of breakthrough designations that could be established that actually advances women's health through the regulatory process? Or how do we incentivize investors with, you know, um, you know, rebates or buybacks if they lose their money in a women's health investment or just like different strategies? I love that. What is the future for WAM? You know, I know you have, let's do next three years since that's your hashtag, hashtag three, not 30. Over the next three years, what's your goal for WAM? Well, obviously to continue to accelerate awareness and investment in women's health research, but also investment in women-owned, women-led businesses. Mm. So we're just beginning to um, talk with many uh, of the wonderful partners in our ecosystem who are currently part of that community, uh, part of that investment community to see how not only how the WAM data can help, uh, which it can, because obviously having some of the WAM data will spur, uh, we believe, investment. Um, but more importantly, we do feel that WAM has the opportunity um, to partner, and I, we don't know exactly how yet, uh, within the investment community in order to uh, support uh, early uh, early startups. Because when you look at um, the less than 2% that the VC community contributes um, uh, to women, and you look at the less than 1% in biopharma, those are unacceptable numbers to me, just like the 15, 12, 7, 4. Those are, those are, and those are even more bizarre. So we, we really would love to see that change. So if, if you ask me, I'd like to, you know, even if I said I'd like to double those numbers, that would be huge, but that sounds so pitiful too. So yeah. I don't know yet exactly what we want to do, but it's something in that area. And then if you look at the success of, or the, the ROI from women led businesses, it's 35% greater than male businesses, male-led businesses. So there's all the reasons in the world. And again, this is not about, this is about return. This is about, I don't care if it's cats and dogs. The point is you're going to go or you should go where the return is greatest. And that is right now where, um, where women are leading and starting companies. And we're very, very interested in that. Yes. Amazing. Well, we have two last questions that our listeners love. The first one is we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs that listen. So what's an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? So the good news is that every area does. There <laughs> is such a blank, it's such a white space and such a blank slate that there isn't an area from maternal through to longevity that doesn't need innovation. 
And when you look at, you know, look at any of the reports that any of the think tanks put out, you see how huge that opportunity is. And I had the pleasure of speaking at a McKinsey conference. I guess it was in um, about three or four months ago. And what they came, what they came away with in their blog is, and I'll send it to you, is invest in women. The number one priority was invest in women-owned, women-led companies. Like So I got through, and I, I think we need to get through more. And yeah. that's one of the uh, ways that I think will create change. What you're doing, what I'm doing, what others will do. But as far as, as, far as for entrepreneurs, they, they're finding and creating a clear, concise pitch deck that allows them to show um, their ability to create value is is just, I think, so important. So it's confidence, it's uh, clear communication, and it's passion. And I'm sure any entrepreneur has all of those. Love it. Definitely. And our listeners are definitely some of the most passionate ones I've ever met. Uh, and, you know, aside from funding, what do you think the industry needs the most right now in order to be successful? Because we know they need more money, right? We've talked about that for 35 minutes. <laughs> what else does the femtech industry need? I think we need to show success. I think we need to really share success. And, and I think by doing that, you build success builds on success. And then I think you need more women. You need to build more communities of women to support other women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could be financially uh, in a mentorship way or or otherwise. So I think all of this is a bubbling up and a building um, on top of each other effect because otherwise it, otherwise we're sitting in our silos. Yep. And so we all somehow need to um, – come together, if you will. It sounds it sounds a little trite, but it's not meant to be in the sense that by collaborating, mm-hmm. I think we have a much greater chance of success. Yeah. Well, Carly, this is amazing. Everyone should definitely be reading the WAM reports, coming to your events. You have the best speakers, best content. I love it. And, you know, and maybe we should all just start adopting a little bit more of the, you know, argument around economic growth versus just having a picture of a woman with cramps on your slides because women in pain has a, not moved the needle. Right. And so how can, no. how else can we move the needle through data? So thank you so much for your work today. You're amazing. Oh, thank you, Brittany. It was such a pleasure to be with you. And I wish you much continued success. Thank you for listening to my interview with Carol Lee Lee, the CEO and founder of Women's Health Access Matters, or WAM. Learn more at whamnow.org. Okay, Fem fans, it's time to get engaged. If you love the show, then you'll definitely enjoy reading our weekly newsletter. Subscribe at femhealthinsights.com. While there, you can also join our virtual community, which has over 1,000 femtech founders, investors, and advisors you can get insights and feedback from. We have an active events calendar, jobs board, and much more. Please give our social channels for Femtech Focus and Fem Health Insights a follow. The links are in the show notes. And don't forget, sharing is caring. Send this show to a friend or colleague and keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.